Uh, welcome again, guys. My name's Tom. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant. Uh, you guys met Herrick. He is such a gift, man. I love the way that he, like, just your whole Father's Day exhortation, wherever you are, JB. I'm drawing attention to you as you're blowing your nose. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was not on purpose, bro, I promise. just want to honor you. You're a great spiritual dad. Uh, yeah, guys, I'm really stoked to be here with you this morning. This morning is going to be a good one, I feel like. Uh, if you've been journeying with us, we spent the last, I think, five weeks kind of pressing pause on a series that we've been going, for, going, going through for like a year now um, to talk about this idea of praise and worship. We're jumping back into this series we've titled Jesus Is, going through the Gospel of John. Uh, this morning, we're jumping back into that. We call this series Jesus Is because we really were convinced um, that what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about, the, the most important thing that you could actually give yourself to is, is, is coming to a conclusion about what you believe about Jesus. Um, and every week we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've been kind of investigating all these different aspects about who Jesus is and what that means for us. We're going to do that again this morning, okay? So go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be in John chapter 7 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have the words on the screen for you. Thanks, guys, for doing that. We're going to be in John chapter 7. Um, while you're flipping there, question for you. Have you ever been called out? Like, have you ever been, like, confronted? Um, I think, that, like, I was prepping this uh, the sermon this week, and the, the memory came to mind of a time when I was called out and confronted in a, <laughs> how do I say this? In a, a, a way that affected me in a profound way. So uh, this is probably three or four years ago. My eldest daughter, Amelia, she was three-ish. And we were living in San Diego at, I believe, the second church plant that we uh, helped plant down there in San Diego. So we're living in San Diego, and it was a great season. It was a beautiful season. It was, it was wonderful and everything. But the specific kind of memory came to mind of me and Ebony, my wife, we kind of got into a fight, and it happened to be in front of our daughter. When I say fight, I don't mean like fist fight. I mean like something kind of escalates or like there's a disagreement. It's like, well, I don't think you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, here's what I mean. It's like, well, I don't think you, try, you understand what I'm trying to say. And it just became this like escalating conflict. And if I'm completely honest and transparent with you, I raised my, I raised my voice at my wife. And I was angry. And she was upset. And I like, I'm, I go and I sit on the couch, you know, and I'm just kind of like, honestly, I'm kind of like doing an adult pouting thing, you know, like an adult temper tantrum because I'm not getting my way. And, um, and like I said, my eldest daughter, Amelia, she, she, we did this in front of her, guys. It was not okay. Um, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus' grace. And so I'm sitting on the couch and my three-year-old daughter, she crawls up on my lap. She grabs my face, like, just lovingly, gently kind of grabs my face and, and directs it to her eyes and says, Daddy, you don't have to be unkind to mommy. Jesus loves you. <laughs> in that moment, do you have any idea how convicted I felt in that moment? <laughs> like my three-year-old daughter, she confronted me with truth. She confronted me with truth that I was sinfully unkind to my wife, to her mommy. And listen, she, she didn't do that to hurt me. 
She did it because she loves daddy. She didn't do it to hurt me. She didn't do it to put me down. She did it in love. And it was that act of lovingly confronting me with what was true, although it was ugly. It was in that moment that it really kind of sobered me up to one, seeing myself clearly, and two, seeing God clearly. In today's passage that we're going to go through, we're going to see Jesus, and he's going to confront some people with the truth about themselves. And even though his message that you're going to hear in just a second, it's not like the easiest thing to hear, hear me say this, it's incredibly loving. Okay? So hopefully you are in John chapter 7 by now. I'm going to pray for us before we jump in. Will you pray with me, for me, with us, for us? Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are present with your people. You enjoy being with your people. Uh, It brings you, it delights you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us aware of your presence among us. You in all of your glory and all of your holiness. You want to be with your people. And my prayer this morning is that um, if there are things that you want to confront us with, that you'd make us kind of aware of those things. Not so that we'd feel condemned, but so that we'd feel conviction and we'd experience freedom. And that's my prayer for us this morning. I feel like that's what you want to do, is you want to bring freedom this morning, God. So would you help me to honor you and honor my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room? Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for revealing yourself to us for our good and for our joy and for your glory. So we praise you, we love you, Jesus, and we ask these things in your holy and beautiful name. Amen. Okay, so just to kind of bring you up to speed here, like I said, we, we kind of took a short break um, in this series for the last five weeks. So we're going to pick back up kind of in the middle of a scene. Okay, and the scene is this. Jesus is in Jerusalem, the city, and he's gone there with a bunch of other Jewish people in the region, and they're going there to celebrate a festival. Okay, the people of God are party people. They really, really are. Their their whole calendar was built around celebration. You've heard me say this a ton. We want to be a people who give ourselves over to celebration. That's what the people of God have been doing for centuries. Okay, so you have the people of God, the Jewish people. They're coming to Jerusalem. They're they're all converging on the city to celebrate the festival of shelters. And basically what it was, was it was celebrating God's faithfulness to deliver them out of slavery in Egypt. Okay, his goodness to them, his, his faithfulness to them. Um, so let's jump in here. Verse 25. Okay, I'm going to go through 25 through 36 today. That's our, those are our verses, but I'm going to start here in verse 25 of John chapter 7. It says this. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't, the man they are, isn't, this, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Really quick, the guy that they're talking about here is Jesus. Okay, so you have these people in Jerusalem. They're saying, isn't this, Jesus, the man they're trying to kill? They as the authorities, the Jewish leaders. Verse 26. Yet look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. Okay, so really quickly, there was two different beliefs. Some people thought they wouldn't know where the Messiah is from. Some people read the Old Testament and said, yes, he's going to come from a specific place. So these people, what they're doing is they're questioning Kind of like verbally amongst themselves, they're questioning, could this guy Jesus really be the promised Messiah? Messiah and Christ, kind of interchangeable, it just means savior, the savior of the world. 
could this guy Jesus be really, really be the promised Messiah? Verse 28. As he, Jesus, was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, You know me and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Did you catch what Jesus said there that was confrontational? He says something very, very confrontational here. He tells a large group of Jews, okay, that they don't know God. Consider something for just a moment. You have the Jews, right? These are God's chosen people. These are the people that God chose to to, to bless the world through them. That, that, That these are the people that would reflect to the world what he is like. His character, his kindness, his faithfulness, his power, his holiness. These are God's chosen people, these Jews. And and Jesus, he tells these people to their face, they don't know God. Um, When I was a kid, uh, when I was a young kid in elementary school, I, I loved sports and I used to collect baseball cards and basketball cards. Did anybody do this? Besides Ryan and Kendi, I don't know if Ryan's here, but. You guys, those of you guys that know Ryan are giggling because it's funny. Uh, sorry, hands again. I, I want to see how much of a black sheep I really am. Okay, so you, you guys are kind of following this. So I, 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 I like would collect baseball cards and basketball cards and my favorite players and those kinds of things. And if you're familiar with baseball cards and basketball cards, on the back of the card has what? Stats. Okay? So you have, you know, let's just use baseball. You have how many home runs they hit. You have how many stolen bases they have, how many times they've striked out. You have a pl- their on-base percentage. You have all these different stats, what teams they played for. You also have, like, their hometown, their birthday, how old they are, those kinds of things, right? So listen, I started to get really acquainted with some of my favorite players. I knew some things about them. I knew how many home runs they hit. I knew where they grew up, their hometown. I knew what their birthday was. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know them. I didn't know the player. Knowing things about God is different than knowing him. And this is what Jesus is getting at here, okay? He's confronting these Jews with the truth that there's a difference between relationship and religion. Difference between relationship and religion. Um, And here's the thing, guys. Like, from the very beginning, the thing that has marked God's people like the marker of what makes God's people God's people has been an intimate relationship with God that's based on trust. That's what has been the marker of God's people. And the Bible would call this faith. Faith is trust. Trusting in who God is, what he's done. And this isn't just like a New Testament thing. This is the Old Testament as well. So you could say, oh, is this this like just a New Testament concept? This is the entire scripture. This This is all of time, the relationship between God and man. An intimate relationship with God that's based on trust has always been what makes God's people God's people. Okay, it hasn't been genetics, all that, that had played a part in it in certain times. It hasn't been duty, the things that you do. It's been an intimate relationship with him that's based on trust. Okay? wasn't about knowledge, wasn't about religious duties, it was a relationship. So just really quickly, I don't want to spend too much time here, but consider the Old Testament. Think about Abraham. That dude screwed up royally. Essentially like handed his wife over to some pretty sketchy scenarios, if you're following me. He he made plenty of mistakes, but the Bible says that, um, that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. 
his trust in God, his relationship with God. That's what made him God's person. Make sense? Think about King David. Again, uh, messed up royally, pardon the pun. Like, he, he, had, he made some rough decisions, but he was a man after God's own heart. Intimate relationship with God that's based on trust. Not perfection, not religious duty, not knowledge. Something deeper. Are you tracking with me? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. So not just, old, not just New Testament, Old Testament. So Jesus, he tells these Jews, right, the people of God, that they don't know God. And what he's doing is he's highlighting the fact that, hey, let me say this, you can associate with God's people without actually being one of God's people. This is Jesus. Um, recently, we had some really great friends gift us with Dodger tickets, okay? Um, I'm not near as much of a, of a, I follow sports, I enjoy sports, mostly LA sports, but I'm not, I don't nearly have the sickness like I used to when I was younger, but I really do enjoy like healthy competition and athletics and stuff. And so we got to go to this game. It was, it was, we got to bring the whole family. It was me and Ebony and my two girls. It was the, it was the two girls, their first time at Dodger Stadium, which is just like a unique thing. Even if you don't like baseball, it's such a like, dare I say, romantic environment. You know, the sights and the smells and like, it's captivating. It's like, this is such a cool spot. Um, it's like, and it's old time baseball, like the organ's playing and there's like legit cheering happening and not just people in Southern California that are too cool to cheer. And like, it's this just cool environment. And I, my girls got to experience that, you know, I got them Dodger dogs and um, it was really, really cool. And we were at Dodger Stadium. If you've ever been to any sporting event, you see the fans and typically they're wearing what? They're wearing t-shirts and hats and uniforms and they're, 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 they're affiliating with their team, you know? And, and what do they do? They attend the games. They're at all the events. They're doing all the stuff. They, say, they even say things like, if you ask them, like, how was the game? Oh, we won. <laughs> so they associate themselves with their team, you know? And that was, it was no exception of the Dodger game. But they aren't on the team. Guys, these people that Jesus was talking to, they were culturally and even genetically Jewish. They attended all the festivals. Okay, they, they, they raised their kids Jewish. They did their best to obey the rules. And yet Jesus says they didn't know God. They wore the uniform, but they weren't on the team. Because, hear me say this, because being on God's team means having an intimate relationship with him that's based on what? Trust. And yeah, this is like 2,000 years ago, absolutely, but hear me, this happens today. This still happens today. Especially in the West. Like when I say the West, I don't just mean like the West Coast, I mean like the Western world. Um, This happens all the time in the West. Tons of people, they're, can I use the word culturally Christian? Is that, do you guys know what I mean by that? It's like if you, if, if, if you fill out the census information, you'd check the box. It's like you, you identify as this, you're culturally Christian. <clears throat> and there's a lot of cultural Christians that are kind of in the same boat that these Jews were, that they didn't know him. They don't have an intimate relationship with him based on trust. Um, I recently read this book. 
And the, con- the underlying concept of the book or even the title of the book can kind of sound alarming, but I think it's, it's really helpful. It's a, it's a good read. Uh, the book is called The Unsaved Christian, which is a scandalous title. Um, it's called The Unsaved Christian by this guy, Dean and Sarah. And the book is essentially about how modern people like us, just like the Jews that Jesus is addressing here in John 7, just like them, we modern people, we can associate ourselves with Christianity and even identify ourselves as Christian without actually knowing God. So like these people would, they go to church sometimes. They have a Bible in their home. Uh, They even believe that God exists. But they don't have an intimate relationship with him based on trust. They wear the uniform, but they're not actually on the team. And so talking about this idea that we kind of read about in this passage in Sarah says this quote, He says, the old adage that it isn't what you know, but who you know, rings true for these religious people and their impressive accomplishments. They might have known religion, but they didn't know the Redeemer standing right in front of them. And therefore, what they knew didn't really matter all that much. The reason I bring that up is because the author is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying just because a person puts on the uniform doesn't mean they're on the team. There's something deeper. Just because a person knows things about God or does things for God doesn't mean they know him. And that's, honestly, that's a really dangerous place to be. The most famous place that you'll see this concept kind of presented in Scripture, uh, especially where Jesus is talking about this, is in Matthew chapter 7. We're in John 7 today, but I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 7 really, really quickly. Two or three verses. It's verses 21 through 23. The words of Jesus. Um, this is kind of intense, but it's, it's God in the flesh speaking, so I think we need to take it seriously. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I'll read through 23. Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22. On that day, he's basically saying the day of judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? Do do many miracles in your name? And then Jesus says this. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, lawbreakers. In this passage, we see one of the biggest markers of a person who doesn't actually know God. Jesus gives it to us. The the marker is this. Their relationship with God is based on what they do. Did you catch it? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we do do these miracles? Didn't we go to church? Didn't didn't we read the Bible? Didn't we believe in God? Didn't we pray? Didn't we do really good things? It is so easy to slip into this mentality, friends. But the person who Jesus says he never knew is the person who bases the relationship on didn't we instead of didn't he? Didn't I instead of didn't Jesus? Didn't Jesus live in my place? 
How do I say this? A marker of the person who's wearing the uniform but's not on the team is the person who, when they, when they say, what's your relationship with Jesus based on? It's, I did these things. But the person who's really part of God's people is a person who goes, did, Jesus did this. Jesus did this, not me. Jesus did it. Jesus lived in my place. Man, Jesus died on the cross to cover all of my sins. He rose again, demonstrating his power and his glory, that he's God. It's what Jesus did that reconciles a person to God. It's what Jesus did that enables a person to actually know him, to be in relationship with him, because what does our sin do? Our sin separates us from God. And what brings us back together is the perfect life, the perfect death of Jesus in our place. That's what reconciles us to God. That's what enables us to actually have a relationship with God, because he's holy and I'm not. I'm the guy who raises his voice at his wife in front of his toddler. But Jesus' blood covers my sins and empowers me to live a holy life. Not perfectly, imperfectly. I still need grace, but when I receive that grace, it motivates me to want to obey him and want to please him and love him. Why? Because he loved me first. Didn't he instead of didn't I? You tracking with this idea? Yeah? Okay. There's a difference between religion and relationship. Religion's based on what you do. Relationship, is, relationship with God is based on what he did. It's grace. It's beautiful. Okay, so Jesus, he confronts these people with the truth that although they know things about God, which is awesome, by the way, <clears throat> and they do things for God, again, great, but that they didn't know him. So, in love, what about you? What about you? Because Jesus' point, God in the flesh, just because a person wears the uniform doesn't mean they're on the team. So let's get back to John chapter 7 here, verse uh, 30. So again, kind of recapping, Jesus, he confronts these people, right? He confronts them with the truth that they don't know God, and it gets a really strong reaction, okay? Um, Verse 30, then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. If you're really angry with me right now, um, hopefully you don't have the same reaction that the Jews did. They tried to seize him, okay? Um, They weren't trying to hug him. They weren't trying to bless him. But it says something really specific here. It says, yet no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Um, When you read about the hour in the New Testament, stay with me. When you read about the hour in the New Testament, Hour is referring to Jesus' hour of death. Okay, so think of it as like an expiration date. His hour had not yet come. It was not his time to die. His expiration date had not been reached. Okay? So here's a question for you really quickly. Do you know your hour? Do, Do you know your expiration date? Do you know when it is? Because all of us have one. Every single one of us in the room. I'm going to be like just kind of honest and real and transparent with you right now. Is that okay? I know there's kids in the room, so I'll, I'll filter. But um, I, I really, I love being a pastor. I get to be present at the, at the, at the sweetest, best moments in people's lives. 
I also have the privilege of being present at the worst moments of their life. And it's a privilege, but it gets hard. You get a front row seat at the brokenness of life. And if I'm not careful, I start to get used to it. Start to get used to like, man, things are really jacked up. Sin has like permeated everything. And it can be disheartening, you know? I've, I, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I think you guys can use your imaginations. Marriage stuff, relationship stuff, abuse stuff. Um, loss of loved ones stuff, like just across the board. And like I said, as weird as it sounds, you you almost get used to it. But you know what I never get used to? I never get used to someone's hour. Like I never get used to it. It always feels wrong. Death always feels wrong. Friends, life is really fragile. It's really fragile. And there's nothing quite like death to bring perspective that every single moment we have is precious. You know that feeling? Like, you know when you go to a funeral and it's somebody that you're relatively close to and you, you loved? There's this sense, like, when you walk out of that, that funeral, you're like, I just want to, like, be with people I love. Like, I don't want to take my kids for granted. I want to honor my wife. I want to love my friends. I want to be intentional. That perspective, do you know what I'm talking about? Every moment's precious. Life is fragile. Every single moment is precious because you don't know your hour. None of us know our hour. So listen to me. If by chance there's somebody in the room and you don't know Jesus... Like you don't know him. You don't know his love and his grace. If you don't have an intimate relationship with God that's based on trusting what Jesus has done, if you don't, if, if you don't know him, if you're not close with him, if he, hasn't like, if he hasn't clearly communicated to the depths of your soul how much you matter to him, that you are worth leaving heaven, the king who leaves his throne and enters into suffering, why? His agenda to rescue you from your sin and the sins of others um, affecting your eternity. Like, if you don't know him, like, just as a, as a dorky, <laughs> a weird guy in front of you, like, please receive his grace for you today. Again, it's not about duties. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did, and you're just trusting it and receiving it and allowing him to rewire your beliefs about yourself and about him and about other people. And the reason I'm being like somewhat intense is because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And I want you to know how loved you are. I want you to know how valuable you are in God's sight. Um, so most of us in the room, probably followers of Jesus, know him imperfectly, but know him. If you're a follower of Jesus, like, I was praying for us this morning and I have this, like, this thought, I feel like God has an agenda, but like, are you living a fully devoted life? Not like religiously, like I'm gonna try hard, I'm gonna do better, that's not what I'm talking about. Like surrendering your heart to the lover of your soul devotion. Like, are you living a fully devoted life? Or are you like spinning your wheels? You know, like if, like a, if a, like a drag racer is like on the line and they punch it too hard, 
their wheels are flying, but they're not going anywhere. Um, you need to know. You need to know you have a purpose. Or maybe you need to be reminded. That's probably a better language this morning. You need to be reminded you have a purpose, man. And hear me say this. Your purpose, every human being's purpose, whether they realize it or not, is to worship God. And when I say worship, we've talked about this last several weeks, but I'll review. To ascribe the most worth to him, to treasure him. Not because he needs it, but because we do. We were created to worship the creator. What that's, what that's going to do is if you fully devote your heart to him and you fully worship him, you'll live out your purpose and your purpose is to be completely satisfied. It just so happens that the only thing that can ever satisfy the deepest longings and cravings of your soul is God himself. And he makes himself available to us in grace so that we can actually be satisfied. Are you following me with this? So your purpose is not to give God something that he lacks. Your purpose is to surrender to God so that he can give you what you lack namely himself. That's your purpose, to enjoy him. To enjoy being fully known, all the junk, and still yet being fully loved. That's the desire of your heart. We give ourselves to things, we worship idols, we, we, we ascribe worth to things that ultimately aren't going to last. Why? Because we want to feel this deep longing of being known and loved. The reason you spend too much money on the clothes that you do is to impress people. If you didn't, you wouldn't wear them in public. I do it too, okay? I'm not calling you out. I'm, I'm just as guilty of all these different subtle ways. And hear me says, I'm not bagging on you if you spend money on nice clothes. It's, I did a, we did a whole series on money and how to do stuff. Like part of the reason God gives you what he gives you is to bless you, okay? To enjoy his gifts. So I'm not, that's not where I'm going with this. I just want us to see the heart idolatry and the things that are keeping us from worshiping him, which is keeping us from living out our purpose, Okay, God's given you a purpose. Hear me say this. He's given you a calling, a unique calling, assignments in seasons of your life. Assignments to what? To love people. That's his agenda. I don't know if you know this, but he's redeeming all things through his church, through his people, and he's doing it through grace and through love. Heaven is invading earth. That's the way the story ends, is the culmination of things being restored to the way they were intended to be. Things being restored from a sin, like we all sinned, we introduced sin to the world, God's restoring that. How's he gonna do it? Through calling you to different assignments to love people through grace, through mercy, in the same way that he's loved you. You have a calling. It's unique. These assignments, how are you gonna walk out your calling? Through the gifts that he's given you. You have a purpose, you have calling, you have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities. Those gifts and talents and abilities, they exist for God to demonstrate and declare his love to the world around you. That's why you're gifted in the ways that you are. It's so that other people can encounter the love of God through you. Straight up. So, hear me say this. You're a follower of Jesus. You have a purpose to worship him and enjoy him to be fully satisfied. That sounds awesome, to be fully satisfied. Has anybody here ever been fully satisfied? Neither have I. The closest I've ever gotten is being in the presence of God and just, just being overwhelmed with how much he loves me and I don't deserve it. It's, a, it's the best feeling in the entire world. It's so great. Your purpose is to enjoy him, to worship him. You have callings. God has called you specific assignments to love the people around you and he's equipping, he has equipped some of you and, and will continue to equip you with the gifts necessary to accomplish that assignment. Are you with me? Okay, so here's my question. Are you living out God's story for your life? He wants you. 
He will not force you. Are you living out his story for your life? There's nothing better, man. There's nothing more adventurous. I love adventure. I love like going in the mountains and the whole like, I feel like every car commercial nowadays is like some, you know, capable vehicle that will take you to some cool spot because we all like want adventure. It's like cool or something. It's like hip. But the greatest adventure you could ever live is the God-given assignments to love the world around you with his equipping. Things that you could never do on your own. That's exciting. That's fun. That's part of what you were created for, man. Are you living out God's story for your life? Or are you like that drag wheel, you know, where you're stagnant, you're spinning, but you're not going anywhere? Because hear me say this. There really is an enemy opposed to God and his people. And he wants to take you out of the game. He wants to distract you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to take you out of the game. Because he knows how much what you do today matters. He knows. He knows that what happens today affects eternity. He knows how precious life is. So every day he can distract you, or every day he can deceive you. Scoreboard. Because there's things at stake here. So listen, don't be fooled, man. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Each of us in this room has an hour. Each of us has an expiration date, man. So here's my appeal and my prayer for our church. My prayer, one of my, the greatest prayers for, my, for our church is that we would be a people who live out our purpose courageously to enjoy God and worship him in every area of our life. And we live out our calling. We actually obey him. We walk in it. We experience it. And we get to witness his redemptive power through our lives. Today. And every day. And when I say today, I don't just mean on Sundays. I mean Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Every month, 24-7. Walking in step with the Spirit of God who has written a story for your life that, hear me say this, is incredible. Jesus said you're going to do greater things than he did. The, the, the variable there is obedience. Follow God. Spectacular things await. Redemptive, like God renewing all things. My prayer for us is we be people who live out our purpose, who live out our calling today because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And there are eternal ramifications here, friends. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 31, I'm getting, I'm getting close. Verse 31. However, many from the crowd believed in Jesus and him and said, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? Okay, so you have, there's people who reject Jesus, right, really quick, people who reject him, and there's other people who are like, dude, this guy, Jesus, he like has to be the Messiah, Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's saying. Like, I think this is him. I think this is him. Let's keep going. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him, and so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent servants to arrest him. They didn't like Jesus in his message. Verse 33. Then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go so we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? 
What is this remark he made? You will look for me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Okay, basically what Jesus is doing here is he's warning these people. He's warning these people that they don't have forever to make a decision about him. Because his time on earth is short. He's going to be leaving soon. He's going to be going back with his father. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that if they dismiss the Messiah, I should say this, if they dismiss him as Messiah, they're still going to be searching for one. You following me? So hear me say this. If you and I, if we dismiss Jesus as Savior, we will be just like these people. We'll waste our life searching for a different Savior. Money, relationships, your reputation, your looks, stuff. And hear me say this, all of it. Everything other than Jesus will keep you searching. It'll keep you wanting more. Because only the love of Jesus can satisfy what your heart really craves. Listen to me. You were created to know and love God and be known and loved by God. Anything less then that will never be enough for you. Um, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this after I have a drink of water. You with me still? Yeah? Okay. So, this passage, right? Many of the people we read about in this passage, they were associated with God's people. They were Jewish. They attended the religious events. They did the religious duties. And yet Jesus, he confronts them in the same way my daughter did. He confronts them with the ugly truth. That wearing the uniform isn't what puts them on the team. It's something else. He confronts them with this reality that relationship is different than religion. And he tells them they don't know God. And as a result, some of these people, they dismiss Jesus as the Messiah. They, like, listen, they dismiss the Savior of the world. And the heartbreaking thing, they dismiss their only hope. So hear me say this. Whether you know Jesus intimately, passionately, or you don't, May I exhort you this morning? Please, please do not dismiss the Messiah today. Trust in Jesus, man. An intimate relationship with God that's based on trust. Maybe you're like me and you recognize you regularly fall short. You raise, your, you raise your voice at your wife in front of your toddler and you need God's grace to cover that. It's sin, man. I dishonored my wife. I dishonored my children. But God's grace covers me to the degree that I trust it and receive it. What about you? This morning, 
whether you've been a Christian for 80 years or you're not, my exhortation to you is don't dismiss the Messiah today, the Savior, to cover all of your, all of your imperfections, all of your sin. Because hear me say this, you have a purpose, you have a calling, and you have gifts following, you following Jesus today, you not dismissing the Messiah, but you following him today, it matters. It's important. It's important for your good and the world's good. It's important for your joy and the world's joy. It's important for your satisfaction and people who don't yet know that the only thing that can satisfy the deepest longings of their heart is the thing that you're feasting on. That's Jesus. Will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen for a bit, see what God wants to do with our time, and then I'll pray. Okay, so just give me a moment. shared this, but I really feel like God wants to bring freedom for some of us this morning, like, like deep lasting freedom, um, from living your own story, from living for yourself, um, freedom from things that have hurt you. I feel like I saw a picture of, um, like an egg with a broken yolk that's kind of put back in the shell. I feel like that might describe some of you, like your heart, there's brokenness inside, man. There's pain and brokenness inside that I believe God wants to restore this morning for you. If that's you, like if you're feeling it, you know it's you. That's you. It's his agenda, his loving kindness as your father to bring healing and restoration to the deepest parts of your heart that he knows. I feel like there's others of us that um, in a specific area, we've kind of like, been spinning our wheels. I feel like I saw a picture of like a bridge and I feel like, I feel like God wants to use you uh, to bring others to him. People that maybe feel far off or feel like there's, there's on like a, they're on a distant island or something. Like they're, they're on a landmass that's separated. There's separation there and God wants to use you to bring them to him. And it's not something that you've been walking in, but you know that it's something that, that's like, that's on your life. And at this moment, if you're questioning it, really, it's you. It's you. Your father knows you. He created you. He loves you. He wants to empower you for your purpose and your calling. And I feel like there's others of us that you want, you hear me talk about this idea of like, like knowing God into me. Like, what does that even look like? You want it, but you don't even know. Or, or like, like you're like not sure. There's been this element of doubt that's maybe been introduced into your brain. Like, gosh, like, am I? Like you're not sure. I feel like God wants you to be sure today. And then you can be like trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus that his perfect life in your place gives you a righteousness that you couldn't earn. 
and his blood and his body on the cross for you takes care of every single one of your sins and all of that bundled together is his like his love his like love for you on display he wants you to like know it and be sure of it and receive it today once and for all like to, like, to have the seal shut like you, it's done it's finished like you are his and he is yours and I feel like there are some of us that are kind of stuck Maybe even just in the last few days and maybe longer, we're stuck, kind of stagnant, feeling like we're, we're sitting still and we should be moving forward. And I really believe that God wants to get you unstuck today because today matters. And, and the way that's going to happen is for you to know how much you matter. So Father in heaven, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would invade every single heart in this room. It's war. It's war for what we believe. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and touch our heart with the reality of your ever-present love that's been with us from the beginning and will never leave us, will never forsake us. We have a choice. We can enjoy you or we can avoid you. And my prayer, Holy Spirit, is that you would direct the eyes of our heart to see the glory and beauty of Jesus for us. That would unstuck us as people and empower us to live the story that you've written for our lives of being completely satisfied in you, having the deepest joy that can ever be had and by living the life that you've created us to live. Be with us now, direct us, free us from condemnation, from guilt, from shame, and empower us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us first. I pray these things in your name. Amen.